basically the way that we use the concept of Sotapan returning seven times is imagine that uh, several people get into an argument, not with each other, but with an unknown source one at a time, okay? The ordinary person, when he gets into an argument, he will argue and argue and argue and argue and maybe leave and come back another day and argue and argue and argue again. Yes. Over and over and over and over and over again, people get stuck on topics that they care about. And it's because of the caring. Okay. So the Sotapan is one who will get into an argument and after seven times will wake up. And then he'll put that argument to rest. So seven, seven times of uh, seven processes of dependent origination. Okay, you can think of it that way. Seven cycles of dependent origination that winds him up in dukkha, and then he'll wake up. But that yeah. would be a very short amount of time, right? Yes, because, precisely yeah. so. Okay. Right, within five minutes or so. Yeah, for example. Yeah. Let's say seven, just for the point. Okay. Yeah. And so, um, then the once returner is going to, uh, let us say, shout, yell one time, like he hears somebody arguing and he says, stop it. And then he'll wake up and he only has one rude thing to say. And after that, he'll wake up and then he puts an end to it. Okay, the anagami is the one who does shout in the mind, but it doesn't make it to his mouth. And so he does not return to the dukkha. He keeps it in his mind and he doesn't let it out. And then for the Arahad, it doesn't come up. Okay. That's an easy way for you to understand it because this all has to do with the rebirth is the rebirth of the person, the self in um, Dukkha. That if you understand a little bit about Pitichu Samupada, then you know that the birth immediately is followed by Dukkha. Yes, that that's the whole point is being born is dukkha. If you have a birth, then you will have old age, sickness and death. If you yes. are not born, then it does not get old. You do not get sick of it and you do not get defeated by it. Yeah. Okay, now there is a lot of magic in, uh, let us call it the Buddhist religion, or I prefer to it in the sense of because of uh, what's important to you, Western Buddhism. That's because people want magic. They care about it. Okay. And so yes. uh, the other day you and I were talking about uh, six answers to a yes and no question. Do you remember that? Yes. Um, 
the six answers as in either is, either isn't, either is and is not. It's or... either yes, no, both, neither, I don't know, and I don't care. Those right. are the six. All right. Now, yes. wh where most people get caught is because they care about things. Now, let's define the word care because it's got some, uh, some various qualities. We can say that the two kinds of cares are caring for and caring about. For instance, you can care for a sick friend. Normally, that's done, let us say, in a professional situation without caring about them. You just care for them because that's your job. You care for them because you've got the skills. But most of the time, people care for people because they care about them. So when that person dies, even though they've had care, then the person who cares about them is going to suffer. The person who cares for them may or might not suffer depending upon whether they care about them or not. There is actually a sutta, I think it's number um, 87, that has um, the title of it is Grief Comes from Those Who Are Dear. Now, we'll talk about this at a later time, but I'm just, just talking about the title. If you hold people dear, then those people will cause you grief. If you care about your mom, then when she dies, you're going to grieve. Yes. All right. If you don't care about her, then you may not even hear about her death at her death. It may be months later. And because you don't care, you're not in a state of grief. You may be, in fact, you should, uh, people will have the thought of, oh, well, I don't care about my mom, but I care that I don't care. Yes. Or that I wish that I did care. I wish I had a mom that I could care about. And so they're still in grief. So if we can take that point about, uh, uh, remember that the last time I didn't use the word care with you. I used the word uh, irrelevant. Yes. Right? When things we don't know do not affect us, then they are irrelevant. But almost uh, everything Would you say happens. affect? Pardon? There's, uh, would you say affect? As in emotionally or uh, causally? I didn't hear that last word. Um, so, uh, causally. Still don't hear it. Say it close. Uh, as in a, a cause. But maybe I should. Uh, my headphones are empty, unfortunately. You're using the word scar? Cause. Here, I typed it in the chat. Now I use, I see the word cause. Yeah. I don't understand your question yet. Um, 
So things can affect us like in a physical sense or in, in an emotional sense. Well, if they if they affect you in a physical sense and you don't care, or if it affects you in an emotional way, it's probably because you did care. Let us say somebody yes. slapped you. Now, in Christianity, they have the idea of, well, just turn the other cheek. Don't care about it. Okay, but if you care, then it's going to affect you emotionally. But getting slapped in the face may hurt a little bit, but it's going to hurt a whole lot more emotionally because you don't like it. Yes. And so, in fact, the physical is just secondary. It's got really nothing to do with it. It's all about caring is the grief comes because you don't like it. Bad feelings, dukkha, okay? And in that particular point, you are reborn as the one who got slapped. Yeah. Rather than being reborn as the one who just turns the other cheek. Okay. One's in okay. dukkha, the other one is not. Because they cared. They cared not to get slapped. Okay. If you can understand that, then you can also understand that the issue that you have with rebirth is because you care. It matters to you. Yes. Yes, but of course it does. <laughs> yes, it, it does. Please don't it does go into denial. <laughs> Recognize it, it that you care it, about it. True. But okay, let's say as a uh, to make uh, what this sounds like to me. Um, well, I might not care in that moment. Okay, let's say it is an issue for you me now. You called and talked to me three times already. You care. Give it up, boy. I do care. I do care. So you care. let's That's say the whole point. You care. If if I uh, follow your instructions. Uh, and that would lead me to the point of not caring. Is, it, yes, is there any guarantee the that I would? Because caring yeah. is the same word. In fact, it's a better word in English than clinging. In Paticca Samupada, it goes from I like it or I don't like it, followed by I want it or I want to get rid of it. And then the clinging is because I care. Caring and clinging are the same thing. But does not caring about something break this chain and make sure that you don't care about it ever again? Well, your ever againing is caring. Ever again is caring. Well, to me, it seems like you're clinging to the future is another way of saying it. Ever again is part of the vocabulary that you picked up from childhood. It's rubbed in with every religion. And so you've gotten into caring about forevers and forevers. Well, uh, let's say that I do heroin. 
that I would also not care about uh, about anything. If I would do uh, certain drugs, then I would also not care about anything for sure. Well, but well, that doesn't prevent you, it. You mentioned the, the, the noble states, okay? So the soda pond is going to catch himself caring and then stop caring. The sodagami is going to care as soon as he lets it out. The uh, the anagami cares, but he's quick enough to not let that caring out. The arahat just don't care. So that seems final for the arahat. Pardon? Uh, for the the last stage, the arahant, uh -huh. that seems final because he doesn't care anymore. Because, well, that's an anymore. There you yes. go again, off into caring about the future and about permanence. Yes. No, he doesn't care right now. And if he's in the habit of not caring right now, then next time he might not care then too. Depends upon what habits we've got. Yes. Okay. All right. So the issue is, is that you care a whole lot about a whole lot of stuff. Uh, and that gives you pain. Because you don't get your way. You care to have it this way and it turns out that way. And if you didn't give a flying rip, then it yes. wouldn't matter to you. Yeah. All right. Now you're beginning to understand. We can have many examples of this. One of them is, is that there's an election in the U.S. coming up in, in a couple of weeks, three weeks or so. And a whole lot of people care. Mm -hmm. And right. so the Democrats are going to lose some and the Democrats are going to win some. And the Republicans are going to lose some and the, Dem and the Republicans are going to win some. And... The wins that they have are good, but the but the losses they care about. It's because of the caring that they wind up being unhappy. And um, politics is then kind of a guarantee that you're going to be unhappy. The only way to not be uh, affected by politics is by not caring about it. Yeah. Okay. So you've already determined that you really don't know whether rebirth exists or not. I do. Yeah. Right. But you but you still care an awful lot about it. Yes. You care okay. about something you have no knowledge of, just like the Republicans and Democrats care about an election, and they right now don't have a clue about how things are going to work out. You don't yes. know what the future is going to be. The only thing that you know is that's what's happening right now. And yet a lot of people are in great deal of suffering in all kinds of ways because they really care about something that they know nothing about. Yeah. But the Buddha uh, did give some, some comments on people with the same issue that I have, uh, and it's in the, um, I think it's the, is A-N, 
Oh, that's not the middle discourses. That's a and, different one. And guitar and the kayak. Yes. The numbers. So and, the angu comes from angle or fingers. You can yes. see the word finger in there. So the uh, that means by the numbers. And guitar and the kayak. So, the angle. Okay. Sorry, one second. Just got to plug in my uh, charger. Okay. Um, so in AN 366, uh, the Buddha talks about the four assurances. One of the things that we can say is, is that the Angatara Nikaya, when it's quoting the Buddha, it's actually second or third hand. The Angatara Nikaya was done at probably centuries after the Buddha. Okay. So is AN, is that part of the Pali canon? Like of the yes, uh, it is. Yeah. So I've understood that um, you think the Fisu Dimaga is a, is a bad source. Pardon? Uh, that Buddha Gosa's book, the Fisu Dimaga, that that is a bad source. The Vasudhi Maga was written over a thousand years after the Buddha. Yeah, by Buddha Gosa, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so, a whole uh, lot of ordinary people who call themselves Buddhists are very, very interested in that book. Yes. But the more you read it with wisdom, the less value it has. So what would you say are good sources for the for the suttas? Pardon? Oh, all right. Yeah. The original ones, the original ones like Udana, Udana. Uh, Sutta Napata, and the Majjhima Nikaya was written at the time of the death of the Buddha, about uh, the first year after his death. They had the first council, and that's what the outcome of that was, the Majjhima Nikaya. Okay. The that's second council, know. the outcome of that was the Vinaya or the Vinaya. Yeah. The uh, the monastic code. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, so uh, I'm still going to talk about the AN just to, to hear your thoughts. Okay, on this. I do too. There's some good stuff in there. I just don't attribute yeah. it to Buddha. I make sure the okay. students understand that that stuff comes from later monks. Yes. So in this particular sutta, he talks that anyone pursuing the Buddhist or the Buddha path has four assurances. First being if there you. is life after death. Okay. Um, Perhaps if you get a little, your, your voice is actually kind of muddy for me. If you can get closer to the microphone, I might be able to understand you better. In fact, you've frozen completely now.
Hello? Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you now. Uh, yeah, sorry. I think it's my uh, internet. Uh, is this better audio quality? Uh, your your audio quality is muffled. It's okay, like you're too uh, far away from the microphone. Okay, I will check if I can change. We'll just get a okay, now it should be now I should be switched to my AirPods. Is that right? Yeah, but the voice is exactly the same as it was. The headphones don't have anything to do with the microphone every time. Okay. Is this better? Now I'm closer? Uh, no, but go ahead. Just speak very slowly for me. Okay. So, um, in the sutta, it is said that there are four assurances for anyone pursuing the Buddhist path. You're talking the about first, Anguttara 3, number 56? Uh, it's 3, uh, double point 66, A-N. Anguttara number 256. Oh, that, that could be. I've got it written down as 366. Uh, All right, I'll go to the twos. Let me see what I can find on the twos. The number discourse is number twos. is not working. <laughs> <laughs> oh, here I've got it. It is. Uh, I will send it to you. All right. And it's right at the bottom, the part I'm talking about. So oh, I will is, uh, repeat it. This is the uh, the Kalama Sutta. Yes. Okay, that's end guitar number three, number sixty-five and sixty-six. Uh, okay, so this the one is you a good source. The Kalama Sutta. Yes. All right. That's a okay. very interesting one in the sense that it proves the point that I've been making solidly. Uh, in, in what way? Sorry, I don't understand. Well, the, the Kalama Sutta that I know, it says at the end of it, if there does exist rebirth, then you have the benefits of what you've been doing in this life. But if you, if there is no rebirth, then you still have the benefits of it in this life. Yes. Uh, yes. So... Okay. So that's the whole point is, is that he's not confronting the Kalamas. This is the first time that they've talked to him and he's trying to, uh, uh, get them, uh, to move in the right direction. Okay. But, for me, it feels like there is one possibility that is not discussed in this uh, sutta. And okay. that is, okay, so here there are two options given. Either there is a life after this one, and that life bears the, the actions uh, and fruits of this life, or there isn't, or yeah, or there is no life after this. 
But why does a next life have to bear the fruits of this life? What? Well, that's the whole point is, is that's what is commonly believed by the common fools of the world. About 90% of human beings are very foolish and will believe anything because they care. Yes. And when they stop I... caring and stop looking directly, they can see directly. If there is uh, a world after death, if there is uh, the fruit and the results of actions, rightly or wrongly done, then this is the basis by which, with the breakup of the body after death, that I will appear in a good destination, a heavenly world. This is the yeah. first assur assurance that is there if they are uh, depending upon the results of the actions. But the second point is the one that just destroys that. If but if there is no world after death, if there is no fruit of the results of actions, rightly or wrongly, then here in this present life, I look after myself with ease, free from hostility, free from ill will, free from trouble. There is no, this is the second assurance. Okay, so if you look at it like that, then it has to do with what's in our mind and how we behave and the future life is irrelevant. Yes. But, okay, so this is according to the, the belief in karma that he describes this, uh, the, the people that he's talking to believe in yeah. karma. But well, everybody believes in karma. Yeah. Because the word karma just means action. Yes, well... The law of karma, then. That's karma it. and the result of karma. That's the karma yeah. vipaka. The results yeah. of your actions. If there is a future life, then what you're doing now will result in uh, um, benefits or loss in that. But even if you're not reborn, you still get the benefits here and now in this life. That's what yes. the Buddha teaches. But, but if you believe yeah. in rebirth and then waste this life because you've got another chance, then guess what? You've wasted this life. And yeah. you have no assurances or guarantees that a future life does exist. All you do um, uh, have the assurances is because you've wasted this life, you're going to have to put up with the results in the next life of having wasted this one. Yes, that's a, that's a possibility. And well, that's your only possibility right now, the way that you're clinging. Uh, to be uh, yeah, to be clear for my own intentions, like I've already decided for myself that even if there is the possibility of next life, I don't want to waste this life, so I want to uh, do what I can in this life. That's okay, so all we have to do now is start doing that and just dropping things that you know nothing about and stop yeah. caring about it. But there's, there's one thing I just want to understand, so I'm on the same page as you. So as a Westerner, I also believe in that there is a possibility of randomness and chance in the universe. 
So uh, in that there uh, is no such thing as randomness. Everything winds up being a pseudo random. Yes. Okay. Uh, randomness uh, only means that the human being who is calling it random doesn't understand all of the cause and effects that go into it. But nothing happens according to random. Everything happens according to cause and effect. That's yes. physics. Yes. Okay, but Western peop uh, people, let us say fools, who are not educated in physics or engineering, they've heard this word random. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, because I don't we use it. We use yeah. the random number generators with computers for uh, arranging decks of cards and all of that kind of stuff. So when a card when a card deck is shuffled, people think of it as random. They're not random. Yeah. But I, the order of the cards, you do not know how the cards were shuffled and or stacked. But in fact, the good, the good card shark, when he is uh, shuffling the cards, will palm one or two cards so that you can't see the fact that he's got a card in this hand while he's shuffling. It's not random. He's intentionally made sure it's not random. But everybody sitting at that poker table thinks it is a randomly shuffled deck. No deck of cards has ever been actually random. The closest thing yeah. they could come to would be a random number generator on a computer. But computer random numbers are pseudo random numbers. They've got algorithms that produce that number. Yeah, that's, that's right. Uh, I, I agree with you fully on that. So let's say okay, pseudo so there's no such thing as actual random. What we have is pseudo random, which means yes. we don't understand the actual chain of events that brought about that event. But nothing actually is uh, completely random. You just don't yes. know. I don't know. Yes, I agree. Right. But my, my point being here is that in my mind, a next life, doesn't have to be um, like my actions in this life don't necessarily need to have a uh, impact on my next life uh, if there is such a thing. Well, if there is a next the life, it's not going to be you. Um, that's well, the real teaching, and that's the distinction between rebirth and reincarnation. Reincarnation is the belief that when that future life happens, it's me again. The reality is, is that no, it's not me again. It's something else. Okay, but um, how should I put this? You can't. Okay. Okay. Is there, uh, okay. So consciousness. Can't really, it's something that is, that dependently only... arisen. Consciousness, we've already talked a little bit about it, is dependently yeah. arisen. Okay. Now, here's yeah. where we're going with this. And that is, is that while you are clinging, while you are caring about rebirth and reincarnation, you will keep asking questions. And no matter what answers I give you, you will reject them because you still care that rebirth and reincarnation exist. Well, I, I don't want to say that it exists because I don't know that. 
But well, you still the, care. You don't know, yeah. but you care. You want yeah, it to be true. There's just one possibility in my mind, and I, I haven't heard any good evidence by anyone why it's not a possibility, and that is that there is a, a next life, and my actions in this life uh, don't have necessarily a positive impact on that next life, even though I would get enlightened in this life. But you don't know anything. That's the whole point. That's what this sutta yeah. is about, is, is that the, the fruits and the results of the actions in this life affect this life. All right? That's what the whole point is here. That's why the big word starts there. The great big word. The word, the, possibly the biggest word in the English language. If. I-F. And yeah. you skipped right by that word. And it was the biggest word on the page. Yeah. Okay, why did you skip the word if? Because of your confirmation bias. It's because you care about something that you know nothing about. Yeah. But, okay, so before you started practicing and you read this sutta, would you be totally assured by this sutta? Well, actually... Totally comfortable? It depends upon whether this sutta can help people come out of their confirmation bias or whether this sutta actually, um, let us say, uh, adds more weight to their confirmation bias. In other words, you can read this and be confirmed in your clinging. Yes. Sorry, do you have one minute? I just need to go to the bathroom real quick. All right. All right, so you were talking about uh, yeah, about the assurances, so it can, uh, for me, it doesn't help me out of my confirmation bias, that's what you are saying, basically. Mm -hmm. that if you already believe what you believe and you're attached to that you care about it even though you know nothing about it you've heard all of this stuff it sounds very delicious 
But in fact, that's the reason why the teachings of Jesus did not catch on. But the teachings of Paul caught on big time. Why? The the teachings of Paul were quite delicious. He promised something that Jesus did not promise. Heaven and hell. and, And making Jesus a big superstar high in the sky that's going to help you get into heaven. That's the teaching of Paul. And that's why Christianity caught on is because fools like that kind of assurance. Where Jesus taught things like the kingdom of heaven is within you. Yes. It's not way out there someplace. Yeah. It's not a promise. It's an actuality. And so here you are clinging to promises instead of uh, doing the actuality. Yes. To me, it's just a, a terrifying idea. That, Pardon? To me, it's a, a, a terrifying idea that I can be reborn into a next life and that my actions in this life don't have an impact on that next life, but that my consciousness or experience gets uh-huh. transferred. Okay, so uh, that that's satisfying to you because you're dissatisfied with this life. You want another shot at it. No, I actually don't want to be reborn. Okay, well then don't. And the first way that you can be stop being reborn is by stop clinging to the idea of being reborn. I I don't, I don't see how that would stop such a process. Well, Well, let it go. Stop thinking about the future, because that's what rebirth is all about—a deep, dark future you know nothing about. Only the promises by some charlatan. But in fact, the whole teaching of rebirth is a control issue. If somebody can get you believe in rebirth, then you'll go to that person and say, what do I do to have a good rebirth? And now he's got you. He owns your ass. If he's a Christian teaching about heaven, then you're a Christian and you're going to pay him and pay and put money in the plate and do what you're told to do because you think that his teaching is delicious. The reality is you don't know. Yes. But do you then acknowledge the possibility, regardless of it's helpful or not helpful, that there could be a next life that where the, the, the fruits of this life don't have an impact on the next life? Well, I don't care. I don't need one. I don't want one. I plan not to be reborn that way. You plan, okay, but but is it a possibility? How do I plan? I plan on it by not having much of this life either. By not having, yeah, by not being reborn in this life. So what you're telling me now is is that people who are reborn are reborn without them having any say-so in it at all. Uh, As far as I know, it's a possibility. I'm not saying that it's true because I I honestly... But if it is true, then people are reborn without any choice. Yes. 
okay, like the Christians believe is, is that after you die, you're, you've got a soul, and that soul is like a football, and God's going to kick it one way or the other, and you've got no choice about it now. You're completely under the control of some authority figure. Well, it could be less. Like, how, how, like, I see how such a belief is not necessarily helpful, but I feel like that it's being denied because it's not helpful. But the whole point for me in pursuing Buddhism um, and not a re religion type, but is, is that there is no opium in it per se. And I feel like Christianity um, is more of an opium, like a delicious teaching, as you say. And I just right. want... And what is truth. that opium? The opium of that you will survive death. Yes. That's the opium. And you're drugged up right now, heavily sedated. I'm terrified about the possibility. I don't want to be reborn. I, I want to... Well, then don't. Yeah. Stop it. <laughs> I've seen you re be being reborn a dozen times in this call. But we're talking about two different kinds of rebor uh, there rebirth. There is only one kind of rebirth, the kind of rebirth that happens in the mind. And then you're denying that there's a, a life after death. Well, the rebirth off into the future is still all in your mind. And you keep bringing it back up. So the process of dependent origination, what I wanted to ask you is uh, the body or the, the senses, the aggregates, they are one link in the process, right? Uh, that's a complicated question. Go go for your real question. Okay. Um, my question is then, does dependent origination continue after the breakup of the body? It depends upon what book you read. So In fact, uh, if you read the book on the Vasudhimaga, it talks about three lifetimes. Yes. Now, if you understand those three lifetimes as the immediate past, the immediate present, and the immediate future, then it has some value. But if you believe the way that Buddha Gosa has put it out, which, by the way, Buddha Gosa was a Brahmin. Yes. And he was teaching Brahmanism in that book that he wrote. The question is, did he do so uh, ignorantly or maliciously. And that's an argument that I've had with Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa. Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa goes for it, that, that uh, he was a wise fool. He had a lot of information. He, he just had, you know, like uh, a gaping hole in his brain. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I take an opposite viewpoint. I take that he knew what he was talking about and he chose to mislead people intentionally. He actually yeah. did know. A lot of people really do know the truth, and they teach otherwise. Most Baptist preachers, in fact, come to the point that they don't believe in Christianity, but now they're still stuck in the pulpit. Probably the best example of that is the Bible scholar 
who really, really knows the Bible because he studied it for years, and now he is employed as a senior professor at a Bible college, a seminary. And he has to teach his students what he now no longer believes. No. That happens often, and that's the state that Bhikkhu Buddha Gosa could have been in. He knew what was going on, but he chose to write for the fools because there's money in it. He can make some money off of it. His family can yeah. get wealthy, but if he denounces his family, he's going to lose a great deal, just like a Baptist preacher would lose a great deal if he started teaching the truth from the pulpit. He'd lose his house. He'd lose his car. He'd lose his wife. He'd lose his children. He'd lose his job. He would lose his status in the community, and he would lose everything. So it's better just to keep lying about it. Yeah. And, and have you seen uh, Prabhupada's uh, commentary on the Buddha Dasa's, uh well, allegations, I could say, about the Visuddhimagi? Well, I'm much more interested in who associated with Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa than who his enemies were. Okay, yeah. Because right. uh, the the associations of with the wise will have a few notaries, those who are uh, let's say uh, well educated, well skilled, well trusted in the Thai community, as opposed to uh, let us say ordinary people who started out ordinary, remained ordinary, put on a robe ordinary, studied the suttas with their confirmation bias, and now are writing things of which they have no knowledge. Yeah. I could give you some examples of that, but I would choose not to. <laughs> okay. Yeah, you don't, you don't have to. Well-known Western monks are absolute fools. Danisaro. I wouldn't call him, I wouldn't put him in that group. I would put him in the middle group. Okay. Those who know the truth, but teach ignorance to ignorant people, and then will teach wisely to the wise. Yeah. Okay. So, so, and that's, the, that's the standard way of letting ignorant people remain ignorant. Yeah. Okay, you just got to go along with it. I've got a story about that, by the way. And this happened in um, Sri Lanka. Excuse me. It happened in uh, Kuala Lumpur in uh, Malaysia. A good friend of mine, David, who was ordained at that time, was going to Malaysia to get his visa. And when he went there, he decided to go to the big Thai temple in Kuala Lumpur, which happened to, at that point in time, the abbot of it, uh, of this Thai Wat, was Sri Lankan. I don't remember his name. That was so many years ago. When David got there, this old monk, Sri Lankan monk, was having a conversation in English with a Chinese woman whose husband had just died. Because she was an ordinary person believing in rebirth, the Achan consoled her, told her that her husband was in a better place and all of that kind of stuff. And David's standing over there in his robe saying, well, I'm wasting my time with this dude. Yeah. And he waited it out. 
And when uh, he talked to the monk and said that he had come from Watsu and Mok, this monk changed his personality completely. And that's very, very characteristic. I've seen it often. In fact, that's the way that Buddhism has traditionally been taught, is you talk foolish to foolish people. There was no reason for the that senior monk to have uh, disturbed that old Chinese woman by just telling her to get over it. Don't yeah. cling to the dead. He's dead now. Get over it. <laughs> yeah. That would have not been a good thing to do because she would not want to be able to get over it. That might have uh, given her a great deal of grief. And so you go along to kind of let people be because you don't want to add to their suffering. You don't want to add to their dukkha. Would you do the same thing? Uh, I am privileged enough to know that I don't have to talk to old Chinese women. Okay. <laughs> but would you speak the un uncomfortable truth to people? Actually, Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa, if there's anything that makes him extraordinary or unique, it's not what he taught, but who he taught. But in fact, he was brought up on Sangha de Sessa charges in the 1930s. And the result of the, uh, uh, or the outcome of the uh, monk's court called a Sangha de Sessa was that he was teaching the right things to the wrong people. That's an interesting uh, decision. Okay. And so he was teaching the right things to the wrong people because he was not interested in holding out that traditionally a monk would go to a senior monk let us say it this way that the truth is only let out when the right person is asking the right person or the right question to the right noble at the right time and that will then unlock the door and the student then can be led in to the noble teaching Bhikkhu buddha dasa has said it's time for us not do this let's go back to the time of the buddha and recognize that we will not spend much time in uh, uh, agreeing with them, but agree with them only long enough to get them to have faith in the teaching of the Buddha, and then he's going to start teaching them correctly. So that's Buddha Dasa's approach. No, Buddha Dasa's approach is let's let it all hang out. We've got truth here. Let's go ahead and, and put it out there. And those who can take it can take it. And those who hate it will hate it. But we're okay. going to be real. We're going to tell the truth. Yeah. Okay, that's Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa's approach. And in fact, that's my uh, instruction from Achan Po. Is that when I'm on the internet, I don't teach with the one-two punch. I only teach the super mundane, noble Dhamma. I do not teach ordinary beliefs that are held by ordinary people. I no. teach the real teachings of the Buddha. But I don't advertise. I'm just here. You call yeah. me. I did not hand you some pamphlet like the Jehovah's Witnesses say. <laughs> Yeah, true. I do yeah, not go about knocking on doors trying to spread the Dhamma. I only want to speak to people who are willing to hear it. Yeah. Yeah. 
I'm certainly grateful for that. I prefer the uncomfortable truth over the the, the opium. Let's uh, put it that way. Okay. But um, so you were saying uh, it's according to which book you read about uh, dependent origination continuing or not, not continuing. necessarily. Is no. You're you're assuming that the book has power over you. It's not which books you read, it's do you know how to read? Okay, so let's say I read the books correctly. Well, so the far correct you book. haven't. So far you've been believing all <laughs> kinds of crap. Yeah. <laughs> because it fits in with what you already believed before that. Uh, well... I'm because, trying to understand because it. Because you really want to believe in rebirth. And yet now uh, you're becoming terrified of the possibility. So look at the fact that you've been shifting some. You're a moving <laughs> target. A moving target. Uh, you, you are right on that. At first I wanted it to be true, I guess. And then I thought, no, yeah, I think it's... not be true. And the reality uh, is, is that you actually do not know. And it does not matter. Yeah, the, but yeah, the only thing is, like, when I ask this question, like, do you acknowledge, and not not just you, but also other persons, every person I ask, uh, do you acknowledge that there is a possibility of a life after this one where I the lose? The answer to that is, I don't know, and I don't care. And that yeah. is, that's the easiest way I can say it, but I've heard a lot of people get a lot of confusion over a lot of the things that I have said. So let's be very careful about that. As far well, as the future goes, I'm not talking about whether rebirth or reincarnation exists or not. I'm saying for all future things, I don't know and I don't care. I do not know who's going to win the election next month and I don't care. I do oh, not sad. know who's going to win the war in Ukraine, and I don't care. Uh, it, it's fair that you say this, but because now I feel like you acknowledge the possibility at least, because well, don't you don't. Know. I'm not saying that it's possible or not. I don't know even that. That in fact, if you go from pure physics, it's deadly, not possible. It's strictly through physics not possible. There's a lot of things that physics haven't figured out now. We're even in the sense of trying to figure out about what the original cause was. Was there a big bang or what? The answer is I don't know and I don't care. And according to physics, is reincarnation based on karma than well uh, possible? Well, it doesn't matter. We're not but interested in possibilities. We're actually interested in the reality of this moment. Not yes. interested in the future. <laughs> but would you say it's possible? I would say that you care too much about it. And that caring is what's going to prevent you from practicing the Dhamma correctly. That's why this is the first fetter. 
Yes. The first fetter. You have to get over this very first fetter and stop caring about the future so that you can start practicing in the present moment correctly. So long as you care uh, about the future, you're not practicing correctly. Okay, so uh, yesterday or the day before, you told me you told me something, a trick, and uh, so if you ask three times, then uh, you have to answer. So after this, I will not ask uh, and uh, question you again about this. I will promise you that. So is it according to physics possible that there is rebirth after reincarnation after death based on karma so based All on right. actions do, do you want a fool's answer do you want a wise answer from someone who has studied the dhamma or do you want an engineer's answer um do you want a preacher's answer what answer do you want <laughs> let's go yeah. ahead and do the engineer's answer Okay. Yeah, you haven't heard that, all right? Yeah. The idea then is, is that there is a relationship between a person, which we will call now a soul, and, uh, the, and the actions that that person or soul has done. Now, there is much action. How many actions have you taken in the past 57 minutes? Oh, a lot of actions, a lot of thinking. A lot of actions. Do you think yes. that the common machine up there is keeping track of all of the actions? Well, it's got uh, to. How is it going to determine what's a good action and what's a bad action? How is it going to weight them? What's a great big bad action versus a tiny little good action? Uh, to be to be fair, like uh, in the in the that's the Indian type of karma. But I'm not an the... Indian. I'm an engineer right now. A lot of Indians are engineers, and one of the most important qualities of an Indian as an engineer is that he stops being a Hindu and becomes an engineer instead. But as an engineer, why do you talk about karma? Well, of... I'm using the word karma because I'm talking about action, and that's the definition of the word action. But I mean, like we were talking about the comma machine, that that machine that determines now Christians call that machine. They give it a personality and call it God. The Muslims have the uh, have that comma machine and they give it a name and a personality and they call it Allah, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. But whatever it is, good old whatever it is, the idea that we're refuting is is that something is not only keeping track of all actions say by done by humans and weighting them according to some scale so that it can figure out what's going to happen in the future all right so imagine what kind of computer that's going to have to be that's that's trillions and trillions of times more powerful than any computer that humans have ever had. And where is that computer going to be located? Inside of a star or something? <laughs> Not a chance. Things are very simple inside of a star. There is nothing in the universe is as complex as the, uh, the human Hindu belief in the Kama machine. 
soul. The, let's go. Now, yeah. wait a minute. Just let's keep going with this. Let's look at a soul. How is this comma machine going to determine what soul is what? Which one belongs to whom? In Nagasaki, 100,000 people died within a second. Let's just make it easy and put a bus full of people that goes over a bridge and they all die. Now, here comes God or here comes the comma machine. How is he going to know which one is which? Because now they're souls. They're no longer, I mean, the body's dead. It's gone. Where is the, where is the soul? Whose soul is it? Now, let's look at how many billions of humans there are on the planet Earth right now. Is uh, uh, 7 times 10 to the ninth. But with the belief of karma, oh, you can be reborn in an animal. So now you have to factor in all of the bugs that have ever existed. All of the animal life that's ever existed. And now we're up to maybe uh, uh, 10 to the 23rd which means that we have to have, let us say, a, a comma security number, like a social security number, only this one is not eight or nine digits. This one has to be at least 23 or 24 digits, which means that it's even more complicated than DNA. And yet, yeah. what do you have inside of you that has your unique identification that is so strong and so solid that it will, in fact, survive death. And so the engineer takes a look at this uh, whole idea of rebirth and reincarnation and recognizes that it is mathematically stupid. It is mathematically foolish. It could not possibly exist. There is, it's just a human, it's a belief system, it's a concept that has never had an actuality to it. Automobiles and motorbikes and even chariots started out as a concept. And they can be manufactured. And so you do have an automobile, but the automobile itself is just in your mind. The chariot is just in your mind. That's why uh, Nagarjuna took uh, um, uh, Melanda's chariot apart to prove to him that there is no chariot there in that chariot. You take the basket apart and you take the wheels apart, you take the ribs apart and you do all of that kind of stuff. Where's the chariot? And you say, well, it's all over the place, but it really the chariot is in the mind of Melanda. It's not real. There is no inherent self or soul in a chariot. There is no such thing as chariotness. And what about consciousness? What about it? I mean, you haven't studied Paticca Samapada yet. You're just you're just off asking questions again. You're looking for confirmation, verification to to confirm your bias. I mean, and so long yeah. as we're off on this kind of stuff, we're you're not learning any dhamma. Yeah. Well, I just think it's a very important. It's not important. It's in, what you mean by you say it's important means is that you cling to it strongly. That's what importance really is. There is nothing in this world important until someone clings to it and calls it important, and then it's important. Importance is a concept of your mind, just like chariot or rebirth or reincarnation.
Yes, and so where consciousness yeah. is a word that we use to describe uh, an actuality, an event, sight exists. You can see. I can see. Every human, this dog here can see. The other dogs in the other room can see. The rats in the house can see. The geckos can see. Sight exists. Now, what does that mean? Sight consciousness. It exists and be proven over and over and over again. So many tens of thousands of times it's been proven that we don't even bother to put it into a scientific experiment because it's clearly obvious that seeing happens. That's consciousness. But consciousness is dependently arisen. Depends upon what you're looking at. If you've got your eyes closed, you can't see. If you're in the dark, you can't see. If the object that you're looking at actually is not there, then you cannot see it. Yes. And consciousness has no identity, right? Well, it's a process. It's a process. It's a process. The human mind. And, and the eyes and the body is a process. And, and, and that process can go on beyond death, beyond no, the breakup of the death. Arisen. When you close your eyes, eye consciousness disappears. You don't have it anymore. It's gone. But since craving proceeds... Uh, no, consciousness is dependently arisen. Period. Yes, but in the in the in the process, uh, craving precedes consciousness, right? Pardon? Uh, in the in the process of dependent origination, craving precedes consciousness. No. Or doesn't. No, sankara. Uh, jiva, sankara, sanya, nama, rupa, uh, salayatana, hasa. Vedana, etc. Panha, yes. Upadana. Or, or let's say ignorance is the first first right. link. Which is where you're stuck. Yes. Yeah, you're stuck in So, ignorance. since ignorance precedes uh, uh, consciousness. If you asking random questions about it, eventually I'll get around to teaching you Paticca Samapada. So long as you're caught in asking a bunch of questions, you will never get satisfaction. It's kind of like a college student who goes into the college classroom with 100 or 200 people in there. Let's call it a physics classroom. And that student just will not shut up. He keeps asking questions that are irrelevant to what the teacher wants to teach. Yeah. And I have okay. a lot of students like that. They just will not shut up and listen. They keep asking questions and asking questions. And because of that, teaching them Dhamma is very difficult to do. It's impossible, in fact. Okay. Because they're being polite to you by answering your questions. Yes, and I'm very grateful for that. And therefore, I will ask you one last question. And then I will shut up. I don't think that this is going to be the last one. I think that when I'm talking about this one, you'll come up with another question. Well, I actually had a list of questions, and uh, we've discussed pretty much everything. I will not bother you with the other ones. But in the um, okay, in the four no noble truths, 
that you have in the fourth noble truth, it says that uh, there's an end to suffering, and that can be gained through insight. The fourth noble truth is the eightfold noble path. Oh, sorry, I, I'm uh, mistaken by which truth uh, then. But my question is, comes down to... The noble truth is the end of suffering. And you can yes. get to the end of suffering and could have many times during this hour, but you're still called in questions. You're still called in suffering. You haven't yeah. come to the state of knowing that you can come out of the suffering basically by shutting up. Okay, this, so the, the, it's, it's really the, the last question. I will finish it and then I will shut up about it. So if there is no rebirth, only birth. I didn't say there was no rebirth. I'm saying I don't know and I don't care. Okay, but. And you're still stuck on the clinging to, well, maybe it exists. What if it exists? It, I mean, like, if is rebirth not a necessary factor for the third noble truth because if there is no rebirth then death would be the end uh of suffering right now you're not dead yet why don't you come out yeah. of your suffering right bloody now <laughs> yeah. but yeah, the, 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 I mean, that stuff right now but the whole problem of samsara would not be a, really a problem if well, death you don't is understand the Sankara. You don't understand it. You think it's a big pile of, of stuff. No, it's a small pile and it all is between your ears. That's where your Sankara lies. Is Sankara the, the, the same thing as samsara? Pardon? Yes. It's you keep doing the same stupid things over and over and over again. Like keep asking me questions. You've been asking me questions for the past hour. Yeah. You're caught in the wheel of samsara right okay. now. Uh, the, 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 those were all my questions. So uh, now I will leave the word to you. All right. Well, this is what I'd like to do since we've kind of, uh, let us say, wasted this hour. <laughs> Why don't you call me tomorrow and we'll start talking about Dhamma? Okay. I'll do that. All right. All right. All right. Well, we'll see you tomorrow then. Thank you very much uh, for your teachings. <laughs> much appreciated. All right. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye-bye.